In today's episode, we get to speak to the amazing Chris Tate, an amazing investor and someone who invests apparently everything and everything. So let's find out how he got into trading and what was his journey and how he changed his mindset around um, in being able to become a professional and successful trader. Let's find out. Money Mindset with Girl Khan podcast will help you to break free from your limiting beliefs, reverse your money shame and blast through your money blocks so that you can live a life of unlimited abundance. In this podcast, we will talk about energy tools and mindset strategies that will help you to understand and change your relationship with money, whether you're in a job, profession or working on your passion. Change your relationship with money to change your life. I'm your host, Gul Khan. Let's get started. Welcome, welcome. It's Gul Khan here, your money mindset expert. And today I have something really, really special for you. I'm speaking to an amazing, amazing, amazing trader. I'm being a trader myself. I'm quite excited to be speaking to him. Someone called Chris Tate, all the way on the other side of the world in Australia. And he will be talking to us about how he went from being whatever he's doing before to being a professional trader right now. So welcome, welcome, Chris. Thank you very much. Good morning. Good morning. So tell us, how are you doing? It must be evening for you at your end, right? It is. It's about, oh, what have we got? 830 Ah, and it's about 11.30 for us. <laughs> Wonders of technology. So, Chris, so tell us, so let's get into this. Tell us, Chris, what is your background? So, you know, what were you doing before trading? Well, it's one of those stories where when you look back at it, it seems linear and sensible and organised and all the rest. Yeah. But I think that's just the way we arrange our internal narratives. They're just the little stories we tell ourselves. I, I originally started my professional career as uh, an academic, uh, oh. my background is uh, the study of the human immune system. Oh, wow. So I'm a very, very, very long way away from where I started. But I, I present myself as the archetype that there is actually no prerequisite. There is no background requirement to be involved in markets, to be successful, to really end up wherever you want to be. Mm. There is no set roadmap. I know people say that, you know, to be X, you need to do ABC first. Hmm. And that they present this sort of roadmap to you. But my experience and observation of people and myself is that the roadmap is really just a very loose sort of fluid thing that you follow. Okay, so you come from, that's, that was your background. So how long ago did you actually start trading? When did you get, how did you get involved and how did you get started? Oh, this is going to make me sound ancient. Uh, I was really big last century. Uh, so how long have you been trading then? What, what happened was uh, I, I was involved in academia. And look, the academic system here in Australia is probably much like it is in the UK. Mm. It's a collection of scrambling for funding, politics. Yes, yes. a lot of political agenda, yes. Uh, and all that paperwork and gibberish that goes along with it. Yes. And, and I, I had a, I, I believe that lives have pivot moments. Yeah. That they shift on, that a door opens and it's your choice. You either walk through the door or you don't. You take the life lesson for what it is and accept it or you ignore it. Yeah. And I, and I was walking across the quadrangle at my university and I banged into a friend of mine who I'd actually been in high school with and did first year with. And I said, where the hell have you been? Mm. Like, it's been years. And he said, look, I, I dropped out after first year. It just wasn't for me. Mm. I said, what did you do? And he went, and he said, well, I went and did economics. And I went, oh, God, that must have been dull. Mm. 
So what are you doing now? And he said, look, I've just gotten back from a year in New York and I'm about to go off to London for a year. Mm. And I'm, I'm not very socially adept. So I said, so how much do they pay you for this? Mm. He told me. And it was about four to five times what I was getting as an academic. Yeah. And I had, I had, no this, arrogant, mm. I, I had this arrogant epiphany that said to me, myself, well, was bloody hell, I was smarter than you at school and smarter than you at university. Why am I not making five times as much as I am? Mm. And at the time, coincidentally, and it's purely coincidentally, mm-hmm. it was part of the early 1980s boom in the stock market here right. and everywhere else in the world. And here in Australia, we were trying to pivot towards, or at the universities in particular, to a more commercial model through biotechnology. Okay. And I, I had a burgeoning interest in markets back then anyway, courtesy of my exposure to these new and emerging biotech companies mm. that unis were trying to get into. Mm. So I was involved in the IPO of several of them, a listing of them, and I thought, well, this is an interesting thing. Mm. And it's also far more profitable than what I'm doing. Mm. And it doesn't seem to involve any of the paperwork and the politics and the lack of funds. Why don't I have a crack at this? And I I did a series of door knocks around stockbroking firms because I'd become an investor myself. And I thought, well, surely if anyone can teach me about investing, it's stockbrokers. That's mistake number one. (laughs) Because what, what... what stockbrokers know about trading could be written on a gnat's bum with a six-inch nail. <laughs> they, they, they have very, very little understanding of markets. And this was brought home to me by the fact that when I turned up, I, I managed to talk my way into a, a broking firm simply because here in Australia, they were releasing derivatives at the time. They were just starting to appear. And derivatives are quantitative. They require you to solve uh, what what is effectively fifth and sixth form maths? It's, it's not terribly difficult. Mm. But they couldn't do it, but I could. And they thought okay. that was black magic. Oh, it's, okay. It's not really. And I, I w- was quickly disavowed of my understanding that stockbrokers knew anything about trading because sitting opposite me was a bloke who two weeks beforehand had been selling carpets. Oh. And the guy beside me two weeks before that had been selling shoes. Okay. So that was their sum total of experience. The industry has attempted to clean itself up a little bit here in Australia Mm. over the past 30 years or so. Mm. But it was very much that I'm now in a a new place. What can I get from this new place? What can I learn? Because, again, it, it sort of comes back to that sort of hackneyed statement that people throw around, but I don't think they understand, is that it's very rare that people make seriously bad calls in their lives. And, and even when you do, there is something to be learned from that. Mm-hmm. And there were things to be learned from broking. There were skills that I picked up. And it also gave me free reign to experiment. It gave me access to trading floors because we still had those here in Australia at the time. Mm-hmm. We were just transitioning to electronic trading. It gave me access to operators. It gave me access to in- international markets allowed me to specialise in derivatives and get paid to do so. Mm. And so a single happenstance moment and a growing sense of discomfort caused me to be even more uncomfortable in a completely unfamiliar environment, but to actually make something of it and to take whatever lessons there were. And at times, broking was very, very good to me and it enabled me to 
go out on my own several years after that. Okay. So you were working with a company before. So when did you leave and venture any on, or are you still working with a company? No, I, I, I've been through several stages of what I would call semi-retirement. <laughs> but but I, I soon found out, I suppose much to my annoyance, that retirement's a middle-class concept and mm-hmm. it's not something that active people do. No. And so I retired in my very early 30s, came back a few years later, started a, a formal trading business, listed a few entities, and then thought about retiring again uh, until my current business partner just tapped me on the shoulder and said, you're really bored, aren't you? And I went, well, yeah, I am, but I quite like being bored. Uh, it's a pleasant state of mind. And so we started this entity uh, called The Trading Game because we both treat trading as a game. Okay. It, it is a, it, it's, one, one of the mistakes I made was that I initially when I started trading was I thought, thought the markets were a thing to be solved, mm. that there was an external problem, something I had to fix. Right. The problem's internal. The problem's always internal. Yes. And once I got over that notion of fixing or, or solving the markets, it became an easier process because the focus then shifts and the focus shifts internally and you realise that the problem to be solved is you and the problem to be solved in all traders, all investors, is generally you. It, it's, most people have reasonable trading systems, they have reasonable trading ideas, but the way they apply them and the mindset they bring to them is completely askew because people have the wrong ideas about money. They've got the wrong money scripts that they might have inherited from parents. They might be uh, first-generation migrants. I, I'm a son of a first-generation migrant. My father's originally from Yorkshire, mm-hmm. can't speak a word of English. The, the view that and it, it, it's undoubtedly the same everywhere in the world for children of first-generation migrants. The way you succeed is you go to school, yeah, you study. You get a good education. Yeah. You get a good job. You work at the good job for 40 years and they give you a gold watch. Yeah. And for that, <laughs> and you peanuts should be for, And peanuts for retirement, yes. Basically. And you should be grateful that you didn't have to go down pit when you were 12. Yeah. And unfortunately, that's a mindset people, they don't realise how insidious it is. They don't realise how ingrained it has become. Yeah. And so it makes it very, very difficult for them to make any transitional steps, to move away from that. Mm-hmm. Because in doing so, in part, they're shattering their identity. And they're shattering their identity that was given to them by their family. Yep, of course, and yes. That is immensely important to people. But what people don't realise is I think in many ways they have to break themselves to start again. I, I, and, I so agree. Yeah. And remould themselves. Yeah. So I'm going to stop there for a moment. I love what you just said. I love everything you just said because it exactly is, you literally reinforced the, the teaching that I almost talked about. It's just, you have to let go of your old identity before you can move forward with, you know, and achieve your goals. But I, this is going to bring home because I'm, I'm, I'm the first generation um, child for my, um, of a migrant, you can say, because my, my parents came over from, from Pakistan. And, and I'm born here, but my children are second generation, but I'm first. And my, I had the same ideology, go to school, get a really ed- education, graft and do it. And I, and I became a lawyer, but I, I understand, but I had to let go of my legal 
professional identity before I could do anything else. Because while I held on to my being a lawyer and introduced myself as a lawyer, I couldn't do anything else. So how did you let go of, because I know, I mean, you study really hard, especially if you become an academic, you have to be super smart. How do you let go of, yeah, I know so much and I'm so, I'm so clever, but how do you let go of that aspect of yourself and adopt a new identity? How do you change your mindset? Or how did you change your mindset? Yeah, that's, that's a very powerful question. And it's one that is, is in some ways difficult to answer. I think part of my advantage that I've always had is that I grew up surrounded by an Asian culture. Mm-hmm. I've been heavily involved in martial arts since I was 12. Right. And I adopted their value set. But the Japanese have several very, very interesting concepts that don't translate very well to the Western mind, they have one called Kitsugi. And Kitsugi is this notion that you break something and then refashion it with gold. Mm-hmm. And the new entity that shows the lines of fracture and break is regarded as being more beautiful and than the original unbroken item. Yeah, I've seen that before, yeah. The, the, un, the unbroken item is viewed as flawed because it has no flaws. It, its lack of flaws means that it has no experience. It's not been reborn. It is mm-hmm. not in any way gone through a period of translation and transition. Yeah. And so letting go of things is not is not that much of a problem for me. There are still elements of academia and my previous profession I'd miss. And I, I do often say to people, and it's not really always in jest, that if somebody said to me, here's the same amount of money you earn now, and also the lifestyle you enjoy, but you can go off and solve your little problems. I go, well, that's a pretty good deal, actually. Mm. But a lot of it hasn't been lost because in many ways, the intellectual rigor you brought to a previous profession carries with you. Of course. Because we we still have to do those professional things, and you would find that as well, that the intellectual rigor and mindset and theoretical framework you got from studying the law is something you apply subconsciously probably without even realizing it that when you are presented with situations problems interactions the ingrained training is still there yeah and so I mean, those skills yeah. haven't been lost they've just been yeah. molded and used to, to be I mean, applied to a different arena yeah i mean i definitely agree with that for sure i think there's there's nothing's ever lost and the skills you learn from um, academia or as one prof- uh, professional training you can actually apply it to others so one of my major major i think my my super one of my superpowers i call it my superpower is the ability to speak about money to different people with different ability intellectual ability i can speak to someone uh, you know someone who's not familiar with the law of attraction or someone who's not familiar with the idea of energy and then at the same time i can speak to someone who's really into you know spiritual energies and quantum physics and so forth and discuss you know, really complex co- um, concepts with them but then this comes from a legal training. I'm, I'm, I'm trained to be a barrister. I'm supposed to be able to speak to my layman clients as well as solicitors, as well as judges and academia at the same time. So this is the, the training, especially, and also the fact that I, I'm, you know, I'm a professional speaker that helps in my current job. So your skills are never lost. The so skills are always applicable and they're, they're moldable, he said, to other professions. And the mindset that you develop from one is actually, that's, that's, that, that's a, a, an asset that you can apply regardless of whichever profession you decide to go into. One of my main major ones is, because I'm dyslexic, 
I had developed this major, um, this, this ability to this work ethics, which is very, now when I, I, mean, when I was younger, I thought everyone did this, but now when I grow up, now that I can look back around me, it's, a, it's not that, that common to have those, that kind of work ethics. My children don't have that. And I'm, yes. I'm trying to get them to understand, but they don't. And I naturally had that where I just worked. I mean, I may not have the talent, I may not have the ability. And when I was growing up, I wasn't able to read. So I didn't have the ability to read, but I, you just can't beat me in, in terms of effort. I would just go on and on and on and on and on. Eventually, I was surpassed my, you know, my peers because of the, the, the work ethics. And this is exactly what I think is coming from you, that to become an academic, you have to have that, you know, the work ethic, the, the intellectual ability. And when you, cha- when you changed focus from academia to trading, those skills came with you and they were your assets and became your superpowers. And that allowed you to probably prosper and get a lot further in the trading arena rather mm-hmm. than like you hinder you think I'm smart and I'm super smart. Cause a lot of people, I think the problem is in academia and people who are super smart, cause this I think should, it should happen with me is when you think you're smart, then you don't, you know, you, I think you, you, uh, you, you become um, complacent, I think at times, whereas if you are always constantly learning, and that allows you to, you know, to absorb more and smart, you know, and mm. become aware of everything that you don't know. Because a lot of the things you don't know, what you don't know. Yes, and I, I think the thing you've touched on there is this powerful dichotomy between sort of a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. Exactly. One, one of the things I noticed, particularly with teaching very, very bright students, was that many of them had a fixed mindset. Yeah. And their, their intellectual horsepower would only get them so far, and then they'd stop. And they'd stop because they couldn't believe that they could go any further. They felt they were locked and constrained by their ability, not realising that 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 was a a transient barrier if they just adopted a different mindset and said, yes, this is hard and I know I have to work. It's not coming easy anymore, but I can still do it. Many would just hit the wall and go, I've probably hit my intellectual limit. When in actual fact they hadn't, they, they, they hit their psychological and emotional limit and that was the only limiter that was put on them. And it, it was very, very distressing to see that they couldn't get beyond that and many would drop out, many, many would change streams to something they perceived to be easier, which I didn't think was necessary because all, all things at university are hard at one time or another. Mm-hmm. And so it was that. People, I find, have this remarkable ability to lift their own handbrake and to act as an anchor for themselves. And it seems humans have this fear of success. And I understand quite naturally the fear of letting go because you're taking a step into the unknown. And many people struggle with that with trading because trading is unknown. You don't know what tomorrow brings. Every decision is made to the limitations of a few things. Your intellectual ability, the quality of the information you possess, and time. None are infinite, so therefore no decision is ever certain. Every decision has uncertainty in it, but it is the uncertainty that brings that capacity to either grow, prosper, move forward, be something else. People often say to me, can you give me a riskless trade? Yes, I can. It's called putting the money in the bank. You get nothing, but you deserve nothing because there is no uncertainty. Can you give me a riskless life? Yes, I can. You stay at home and do nothing and you go to work nine to five. You never take any risks. You never do anything out of the ordinary. You never question anybody. And at the end of your 
four score and ten, you get to your end point and you go, well, that was pretty dull, wasn't it? And it's dull because you sought the riskless way. If you sought a way that made you uncomfortable and you found a way within yourself to become comfortable with the discomfort, to be comfortable with being off kilter and out of balance at times, then you'd probably find that your life would be more than you thought it would be. There will be times when it's less than you thought it would be because you go, oh, crap, I got that wrong. But that's just part of the equation. You can't be successful in anything, be it relationships, sport, business, science, anything without risk. It's just the way the world is. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And I love that. I think this this idea that you can, I always say this, you know, you can, most people tiptoe through life to arrive safely at death. I mean, that's pretty much what they do. And this is exactly the analogy that you've just given. Most people don't want to, oh, well, I mean, I remember, you know, because I talk about training a lot and I talk about different aspects of it. And I, I'm, a, you know, I'm, a, I'm a beginner, so I'm, <laughs> I'm a newbie, complete newbie when it comes to training. But I talk about it quite a bit because I'm learning and I've lost, uh, I have lost uh, money as most initial traders do. But I have no qualms about it because I know I haven't lost it. It's been part of my learning curve. So it's gone into my education. The things I've learned from that trip, from those losses, I would, I would probably never have gained. And it's better to lose the 20 grand now rather than the 200 in, in the future. So that's, but then that's my mindset around it. But a lot of people have this, oh, but it can go up and can go and what if I lose it? And, and I've been talking about Forex trading in particular. And I've, you know, I've mentioned, they're like, but how much money can I lose? Well, you're, if you're trading on, on your, if you keep the margins, you know, if you're risking two to 4%, that's what you're, you're risking. But then you can risk that much to gain, you know, five to 10%, you know, on average, if that's what you're aiming for. But there are risks involved. You, you, you can't have gains without risks. And a lot of people in life, I think maybe this is the way we've been brought up with the mindset is, let's not risk, let's just go and be safe in everything, in relationships, in, in the kind of careers we have, in the kind of friends we have, in the kind of things we do, and everything is like, play safe, play safe, play safe. I, I'm really, this is, seems to be a theme that's going through most, the average Joe blog's mind, isn't it? Yeah. I, I think what happens is that there's a few things that constrain people. The first is humans come prepackaged with a set of software, yeah. uh, pieces of ev- evolutionary psychology, and they served us very, 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 very well when we were wandering around the African savannah carrying a stick. But they're so ingrained as behaviours, we still hold on to them. And you, I see this in traders. Trade, trading is a very, very simple profession. Now, I don't say it's easy. I say it's simple. The there is a, there is... I see, yeah, let's clarify that. I mean, yes. as a trader myself, the, the, the strategies and the rules of trading are very, very simple. Yet... Becoming a profitable trader is not easy, is actually hard. So there's a distinction between the two. It's it's immensely difficult. And there are two rules. Cut losses, let profits run. But people struggle with those despite the fact that they are, they're not hard and fast rules. They're universal. There is no way to succeed without understanding those rules. But what do people do? They let their losses run and they cut their profits short. Well, there's a whole host of psychological reasons as to why they do that. But generally, if you look back far enough, that's found within our revolutionary psychology. Consider this. You're one of our ancestors wandering across the African plain, 
you come across something that's freshly killed, what's your first response? What killed it? Mm. Because remember, you're five foot tall, skinny, and everything can kill you. So what do you do? You grab as much as you can and run away because you can't go broke taking a profit. Mm. That's exactly how people go broke because they have with that the counterpart. And the counterpart to that is imagine you've come across this fresh kill again, you're grabbing as much as you can, and the thing that killed it came comes back. You can't outrun it. What do you do? You go for broke. You've just let your losses run. Mm. We, we have these foundational cornerstones to our psychology that are very difficult for people to break. Mm. And, it, and it is this issue in that trading is simple but not easy. And it's not easy because we come to trading as fully formed humans with ideas, beliefs, preconceptions about money, how money works, what our relationship to money is. But it, it, it's also in part, I think, a deeper problem in that people have a preconception about how much they are worth. Yeah. And without realising it, they do apply a subconscious value to that. So when they see a trade get to a certain value, they will kill it because they believe that's all they're worth. Yeah. Oh, I love that. that. I, I love that. I love that. I love that. I love that. Chris, we have to have you on, on, on uh, my Facebook live too because I think I love this. What you're saying is exactly what people need to hear. I talk about self-worth and it, as a lot. So you're, I always say your net worth is equivalent is is always going to be equal to your self-worth it's it's always at that round so your your self-worth determines your net worth and people usually put the the other way around and they actually allow their net worth to determine their self-worth but you hit the nail on the head and this is the reason why so if you are thinking that you are only only, to say for example you're only a 100k person when you've made a 100k profit that year you would start self-sabotaging and then you, you'll start taking profits early and whatever else. And you think, well, yeah. you have logical reasons to do that, but it's actually not logical, uh, but you, you justify. So you always justify our actions with logic after, even though we, do, we take emotional actions. And what you just and said was hit the nail on the head. That, that's the thing. We always backfill our rationalizations. Yes, yes we why do. Why have we done this? And yeah. as people, the best people to lie to us are ourselves. Absolutely, yes. We, we tell the most powerful and, per, and persuasive lies as to why we can't do something or why we should do something. And our rationalizations are perfect for us because they reflect everything about us, because we know everything about us. We know our weak spots. We know why we want to take the extra bit of chocolate. We know why we want to have the extra beer, why we don't want to let the trade run. And so we find all these reasons to convince ourselves why that is. And I've seen it so many times. I've seen traders on the verge of taking that next step where the account looks like it's going to go from what, what you would call, look, I won't say workmanlike, but, but an ordinary everyday account. Someone who's starting, struggling, they've got a nest egg, and they've built it up to something, and they're almost at the point of going, this year will be a million-dollar year. Mm. And all of a sudden, it's $150,000 a year because they think they're worth $150,000. Yes, absolutely. We, 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 have a, we have a mentoree who bought, who's part of our mentor program, who before he came to us, he bought a particular stock for five and a half cents. Mm-hmm. He sold it at seven and a half because he thought, well, that's, that's nearly 50%. That's far better than the bank. A year later, in an unbroken run, the stock was $10. Wow. He had several hundred thousand of them. Mm. 
But because he thought he was only worth that amount and he could not foresee a point where he was worth more, then he killed the trade. Mm. And it is the unfortunate thing about those things is they are so debilitating psychologically because what you've seen is all of a sudden a door to a potential future has opened, you've looked at it, said no, and it's slammed shut. And that door never opens again. No. Strangely enough, that, that's the unfortunate thing is that particular door will never open again. It, it's a little bit like someone walking up to you and saying, look, I've come from a week in the future. These are the lottery numbers for the weekend. Here's your chance to win 50 or 100 million euro. Do you wish to take it? No. And then the weekend comes, those numbers come up and that opportunity is gone forever. And it's gone forever because that person is so emotionally damaged by the experience that they don't want to put themselves in that situation where they're confronted by that ever again. Yes. And and we act to minimise damage to our ego. As Mm -hmm. much as we can, we act in a very ego-defensive manner. We, We seek to preserve who we think we are. And that comes back to the question you posed at the beginning about letting go. If you let go of who you think you are, then there is a chance that you may become who you actually want to be or who you imagine you want to be or who you think you should be. But unless you let go and you undergo that process of, look, I don't want to use the word deconstruction because that's got a bit of a, it's not quite right. But if you want to undergo that process of, I'll use the word erosion, Mm. where the old you is pressure washed away and then you rebuild something else. But unless you're willing to take that chance to go, oh, let's have a crack, what could go wrong? Because if you come back to the statement, what could go wrong? Okay, I could lose some money. Okay, yes, that, that's good, but are you dead? Have you been harmed in any way? Has your family been harmed? Have your children been harmed? Well, no, I've lost a bit of money. There you go. Have another go. Have another crack and see how it works. I love that. I love that. So thank you so much for sharing your amazing wisdom on trading. Can you tell us what, how do you support people? So do you have a coaching program or mentoring program? You mentioned mentoring. So what do you, how do you help people? What we have is I run in conjunction with my business partner, a company called The Trading Game. Our aim is to take people from even very beginners and turn them into professional traders so that what they do is they develop their trading plan. So it's idiosyncratic, it's not ours, because that doesn't work. It's like me saying to you, girl, right, I wear size 13 shoes. Here they are. Knock yourself out. Mm-hmm. You'd be going, then not. Trading is very subjective. It's, I mean, there's, you can make trading in day and night, left, right, center, but it's very subjective. And it's no, not one, it's not one glove. It's not, every, everyone's different. So not one fit all. So I understand that no, completely. So do you have, if, if, can, go on. And if we can get people to that stage where it's their plan, they trade every market over every time frame. We've had people go on to run hedge funds. Uh, we've had people whose dream was to follow the Formula One circuit around the world, and they've done that. Uh, people have done all sorts of things. And so you can find me at tradinggame.com.au. Mm. We actually have a trading plan template that we get people to fill in that guides them through the process of generating a trading plan. Because mm. without a trading plan, trading's random. You're guessing. Mm. You can find me on social media under Trading Game. You can find me on LinkedIn under my own name. All the usual social media suspects. But the, <laughs> easiest way to, the easiest way to find me is through our website at tradinggame.com.au. 
to let everybody know, we will have all of um, Chris's uh, social media links and all the, um, the links, the URL to his, his website too, on the show notes, so you will be able to find them. But I was just asking him to share with us right now but so that when you're listening, you can have an idea, but you can go back and look at the show notes and everything, all the links will be there for, for you present there, um, if you want to go and check out. And I think definitely you should. You should. So you, do you have coaching? Do you have group coaching programs or do you have individual programs? Or how, do you, how do you help we, people? We, we do them as a group. Mm-hmm. We have a group focus, but we also have an online focus. Everything we do is online. Mm-hmm. What's that enabled us to do is that we have mentorees in the UK, we have them in Europe, we have them scattered throughout Asia, throughout the US. And as you said, when we we're before we started recording, miracles of technology. You're sitting in London, I'm sitting in Melbourne. It yeah. really doesn't matter. Yeah. It, it's something we could not have done. Even 10 years ago, it would have been a struggle. Would have been a struggle. Yeah, it's very, it's very accessible now. We, uh, online's made it very accessible. My whole business is built online. I, I too have clients all over the world, which wouldn't be possible otherwise without the wonders of Zoom. <laughs> and other apps like wonderful tool yeah along with quite a few others now which has come along but yes i I completely agree all right so i think we're gonna have to have you back chris i think i love talking to you i think that you have uh i think we just scratched the surface with your wisdom in terms of even though you're you know you're talking specific you know specifically around uh, training but the mindset and the 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 things you're talking about are applicable across across the board and Mm -hmm. doesn't matter if somebody wants to go trading or property or have an online business offline business whatever they, they want to create in order for them to create their life, they have to focus on the mindset first. And that's exactly what you've described so eloquently, so, so well here today. And I think everything you've touched on is exactly what I teach to my clients. So this is why it resonated, every word of yours resonated with me so, so much. And I wholeheartedly agree. So thank you so much, Chris. Thank you so much for being with us. I hope you will come back and join us and be a guest for us again. So thank you so much, Chris. And for those of you watching, thank you so much for joining us. I will be back with an, on a Friday feature with another amazing, amazing guest talking through their emotion, um, their inspiration journey, talking about mindset, how they change the mindset to get to where they are. And so until the next time we meet, this is Girl Khan signing off. Take care and bye for now. If you want to learn more about my energy tools and mindset strategies, then please visit my website, www.golkhan.com. That's G-U-L-L-K-H-A-N.com. And if you want to take part in our five-day millionaire mindset makeover challenge, where I deep dive into energy tools for abundance, then please go to www.millionairemindsetmakeover.com and register. I look forward to being your mentor in our next five-day challenge. Until the next time we meet, this is Gul Khan. Take care and bye for now.